Welcome to Above Avalon. This is episode 130. What's a computer? Hi, I'm Neil. It has been fascinating to watch the way Apple approaches the iPad and the Mac. A good argument can be made that there is a certain level of awkwardness in having both of those product categories be in the same line. But when you go back and look at previous Apple product events, keynotes, interviews, onstage talks, Apple has always publicly supported the iPad and Mac. You don't see a company talk about the iPad putting in a sales peak or questions over, well, maybe the iPad isn't what we thought it was going to be. You don't see a company talking about the Mac in the sense of, well, its best days are behind it. Despite all of that public support for the iPad and Mac, that hasn't prevented questions from popping up regarding Apple's commitment to these new product categories. In today's episode, we are going to focus on how Apple has shown a new level of openness when it comes to embracing both the iPad and Mac. And I think this change is noteworthy when we start talking about each category's future. The best place to anchor our discussion is to talk about Apple's recent ad campaigns. A few weeks ago, Apple unveiled a new Mac ad campaign called Behind the Mac. I'll include a link to this ad in the show notes. The main ad behind this campaign was remarkable. It was fascinating. I had to watch it a few times because I just couldn't believe that this was an ad from Apple in 2018. The whole point of this ad was to bring up fond memories that professionals have using their Macs to get work done. And Apple included a few other ads that took a closer look at specific artists or creators. The main ad stood out because if you excluded one shot that showed the touch bar, the ad could have easily passed for something released by Apple a decade ago. The plastic white MacBook even made a cameo appearance. I think if you took a bet early in the year and you said, what are the odds that Apple's going to have a new ad and that plastic white MacBook will be included? I don't think you would have thought that that was likely. After watching this Mac ad, the initial words that came to mind were familiar, comfort, nostalgia. Apple was targeting longtime Mac users. Even the song Apple used for the ad reinforced this point. The beginning lyrics of the song or listen up and I'll tell a story about an artist growing old. Some would try for fame and glory, others aren't so bold. I also thought the Mac ads gave a subtle nod to people using their Macs for a long time, possibly serving as a response to this recent uproar surrounding Mac keyboard reliability. The reason that these Mac ads stood out even more 
was that they were released a few months after Apple's What's a Computer ad campaign for the iPad Pro. In that ad, a young girl is using her iPad and iPad accessories like Apple Pencil and the smart keyboard around her neighborhood. She's using this iPad in various activities and adventures. After watching that iPad ad, the words that first came to mind were new, different, controversial. Here you had a young person using an iPad in pretty different and I would say fascinating ways. There's still this stereotype of people buying an iPad, a six, seven, eight hundred dollar iPad, and just using it to consume video. So just propping it up, watching Netflix, YouTube. So to see someone use this iPad Pro in so many different ways, not quite like a smartphone, but not like a laptop. It was interesting. And the way that this ad questioned the traditional definition of a computer, it ended up making some Mac users upset. It was a controversial ad. Apple relied on a very similar message with the iPad ad that was shown at the end of its education event in Chicago. This was back in March. This video showed a group of students using iPads and Apple Pencils to complete a group homework assignment about gravity. In both ads, you had iPads being used to accomplish tasks that a Mac or a PC wouldn't be able to handle. Notice the difference between these two ads, the Mac ad and the iPad ad. With the Mac ad, Apple was selling comfort to a small percentage of its user base. We'll talk a little bit more about this in a few minutes, but basically, maybe 10% of its user base uses a Mac. Meanwhile, the iPad ads were selling something new to a different customer. The juxtaposition of the Mac and iPad ads symbolized the awkward relationship the iPad and Mac have within Apple's product line. When we go back over the past few years, the iPad versus Mac juxtaposition hasn't been static. At launch, back in 2010, the iPad was like a rocket. And the fuel was apps. It was the intrigue found with a large touchscreen powered by iOS. After just a few months, iPad sales surpassed Mac sales. Over at AboveAdmon.com in this week's article titled The iPad versus Mac Juxtaposition, I have a chart that compares iPad unit sales to Mac unit sales on a trailing 12-month basis. You could see how the iPad was like a rocket. It was like something that Apple had never seen before. The iPad went on to double and even triple Mac sales. So if we're talking about an iPad versus Mac battle, the iPad seemed to be the clear winner. 
While Apple management never publicly showed disdain for the Mac, the level of attention given to the iPad in the early 2000s, it likely corresponded with a declining amount of attention and focus dedicated to the Mac. Some of the Mac decisions that were made around this time, like the Mac Pro, later came back to haunt Apple. The iPad versus Mac relationship started to change around the end of 2013, when you had iPad sales put in some kind of peak. Management's efforts to entice iPad users to upgrade weren't working. iPad sales declined from roughly a 75 million units per year run rate to more like a 40 million units per year sales pace. So while you had iPad sales in freefall, look what was going on with the Mac. Sales really didn't move too far from a 20 million unit sales per year pace. The Mac remained a steady ship. I will go so far as to say the Mac demonstrated a level of sales consistency that Apple management didn't expect given the iPad's early popularity. Where do things stand today? Apple now finds itself with an iPad business that is twice the size of iMac when we look at unit sales. However, the iPad business is smaller than the Mac business when it comes to revenue, and that's because the iPad has a lower average selling price. When it comes to users, the iPad user base is nearly three times as large as the Mac user base. And the iPad is bringing in approximately 20 million new users per year. The Mac is bringing in 10 million users per year. It's a lot of numbers moving around. But in a nutshell, both the iPad and the Mac businesses have found stability. They are continuing to connect with their respective user bases. When we go back to those ad campaigns, the dramatically different ad campaigns, the fact that Apple gave those two campaigns the green light provides clarity regarding management's approach to the two product categories. In my view, Apple has become comfortable in accepting and even embracing the awkwardness that exists between the iPad and the Mac. You don't see Apple trying to hide the differences between Mac and iPad as creation platforms. Instead, Apple is embracing the unique attributes that are found with each platform. When we go back to the iPad launch, in 2010, we have one of those slides on stage, and Steve Jobs was going through this. You had an iPhone on one side, you had a MacBook on the other side, and there was space in the middle. That space ended up being the iPad. And what that slide did over the years was I think it made a lot of people think, well, the average consumer has to have a spot for each one of those products in their lives. 
they have to have a need for an iPhone, an iPad, and a Mac. And if that's not the case, if that doesn't happen, Apple's failing here. Something is wrong. However, look at these recent ad campaigns for the iPad and Mac. Instead of trying to come up with scenarios in which the average consumer will have a use case for both iPad and Mac in their lives, Apple is embracing its heterogeneous user base. Said another way, there really isn't such a thing as the average consumer. We're all different. For iPad owners, those Mac ads probably didn't connect on an emotional level. When you then look at the iPad Pro ads' hostility towards computers, I think that infuriated some Mac users. Apple is okay with that. Their aim isn't to sell consumers on both the iPad and Mac as computing platforms. Instead, Apple is focused on shipping different kinds of tools that can improve people's lives. Apple is placing a bet that the Mac will appeal to some users, potentially users with legacy workflows, while the iPad will appeal to a different set of users, most likely a younger generation of creatives. Yes, the iPad is appealing to simply more people than that of Mac. Again, I think the iPad's appealing to probably two to three times more people than the Mac. But that overall point still stands. This brings us to a topic that has led to a lot of debate, a lot of arguments, and I think some revisionist history. All put together, we're talking about the post-PC era. For every Mac that Apple sells, the company sells approximately 15 non-Mac devices. So that includes iPhones, iPads, Apple Watches, all the accessories, HomePod, wireless earpods. In that ratio between Mac sales and non-Mac device sales is near an all-time high. It fluctuates quarter to quarter, but the trend has been up. And I think it's likely to increase over time when you think about the growing momentum that's found with Apple wearables. In my view, when you look at that ratio, if that doesn't describe a post-PC environment, it's difficult envisioning what would. However, for many people, it doesn't feel like we are living in a post-PC world. There are at least 100 million people using a Mac. There are tens of millions of people with workflows that aren't handled by iOS. This group is unable to move beyond the Mac. And so the continued importance of Mac and PC have led some to conclude that this post-PC era has been a farce. The thing is, that doesn't feel right. Because we have hundreds of millions of people that have positioned their smartphones as the most valuable, in some cases, the only computer in their life. What is going on here? 
The reason the post-PC era has been so controversial is that smartphones and iPads have become Mac and PC alternatives, not replacements. That subtle but very important distinction means tens of millions of people still need a Mac to get work done. However, for a much larger number of people, smartphones and iPads have been able to handle certain workflows that were used to be given to laptops and desktops. So I do think we are experiencing the post-PC era. It's just a bit more nuanced than initially imagined. Before we start talking about the future of the iPad and Mac, I think it is worth going back again to that initial iPad product unveiling in 2010. And that slide where you had the iPhone and a Mac and that space in the middle. Some may look at that slide and then look at today's Apple and conclude that this is a company that has dialed back its iPad expectations. In 2010, Apple thought that there would be a position in everyone's lives for iPad. They had carved out this space between smartphones and laptops. You then look at today's Apple, and it seems like it's more, well, if you want an iPad, we sell those. But we also have Macs. We also have iPhones. It's as if Apple is admitting, yeah, maybe not everyone wants an iPad. I look at things a little bit differently here. I don't think the takeaway is that Apple's iPad expectations have been dialed back. Instead, I think the major change that has occurred with an Apple is that the company is more comfortable with people buying Macs, people buying large screen iPhones, and for there still to be a spot for iPad. I think there was a time when strong Mac sales probably made Apple a little bit nervous that, well, maybe the iPad, this isn't it. Maybe we're getting it wrong. Or if you have very strong iPhone sales and iPhones get larger over time, maybe there's this fear that the iPad will lose its spot. In a way, I think it comes down to confidence. Apple is more confident in the iPad now than they ever were. And that confidence is coming through with Apple becoming more vocal in pushing the Mac, in pushing iPhones, in making the case that, sure, for some people, the Mac may be the best tool for getting work done. For other people, it's iPad. The way Apple has become more vocal in that department is new. We didn't see that from Apple over the past eight years. So what does all of this mean for the future? Where is the iPad headed? Where is the Mac headed? There's always been a gray area between the iPad and Mac within Apple's product line. You have questions that have been constantly swirling as to how Apple can best bridge the gap between iOS and multi-touch computing with macOS 
and mouse and cursor. Some pundits have been very vocal that Apple should follow Microsoft. They should ship these hybrid devices that take elements of both paradigms and just kind of put them together. The other argument that I've heard is that Apple should actually increase its bet on the Mac because what's going to happen is the iPad will get eaten by larger iPhones. And so Apple should place the Mac as the primary creation platform. And then you have iOS. Apparently, for these people, iOS is just for video consumption and using Twitter. <laughs> the way I approach this gray area is I think about inspiration. It's easy to think that Apple is getting inspiration for the iPad from the Mac. We have new multitasking features. We have the updated dock, apps like Files. That would seem to bring up memories of Mac, more so than iPhone. However, I think the opposite is true. Apple is using the iPhone as ultimate inspiration for where to bring the iPad, which is basically its larger iOS sibling. In fact, I think the Mac is getting inspiration from the iPhone. Apple is bringing things like custom silicon and Touch ID to the Mac platform. It's not a stretch to see Face ID eventually make its way to the Mac after first being brought to the iPad. There's then Apple's focus on making it easier to port iOS apps to Mac OS. All of these efforts demonstrate Apple utilizing the iPhone as a catalyst to push both the iPad and Mac platforms forward. This makes sense when you think about the iPhone's ability to connect with the mass market. According to my calculations, there are approximately 900 million people using an iPhone. In terms of where Apple will bring the iPad and Mac platforms, a few things stand out. The first is larger, more powerful iPads that share many features with iPhone. I think we also see Macs powered by Apple chips. This is probably going to start at the low end of the Mac line. Similar to iPad, I think these Macs will gain features that were initially made popular by iOS. At the other end of the Mac line, I think you're going to see powerful Macs that push the boundaries of a Mac. So in essence, Apple will continue to dedicate resources to pushing both the iPad and Mac categories forward. Even if that means the product will target increasingly different types of users. I don't think you're going to see Apple coming up with hybrid devices that essentially amount to combining multi-touch tablets with laptops and desktops. I also don't think it's likely that Apple's going to move away from the iPad or the Mac. I don't think Apple's going to say, well, larger screen iPhones, that's going to take care of our iPad target market, so we're going to ramp down the iPad. I also don't think Apple's going to say, well, let's increase our bet with the iPad, that way we can spend less time and energy on the Mac. There's no evidence that Apple is getting frustrated or tired with the differences found between iPad and Mac. 
Instead, the strategy is to position each product category as its own creative platform. The iPad ends up being a creative arm for iOS, while the Mac is allowed to harness the potential found with macOS to power the needs of a wide variety of creators. And this strategy doesn't prevent Apple from sharing features between the two platforms, but it does seem like Apple is set on recognizing the key differences between iPad and Mac. For iPad, that's the multi-touch user interface. For Mac, you have the cursor and mouse paradigm. So I think Apple will embrace those differences and not try to hide them or minimize them and embrace this type of hybrid approach. We'll conclude today's episode with a quick talk about the large screen paradox that faces Apple. Three major computing things have grabbed Apple's attention in recent years. The first, wearables. Second, the smaller, more intelligent screens. And the third is more powerful and intelligent cameras. I think Apple is excelling in each of those preceding themes. Apple is showing clear vision and strategy. However, what about the largest screens in our lives? Televisions, iPads, Macs. There doesn't seem to be as compelling of a long-term vision found with those larger screens. If we then think about augmented reality glasses, which I think is a product Apple will eventually sell, what will happen to the large screens in our lives? I don't think it's entirely clear. For now, Apple's broad strategy for iPad and Mac appears to be the position each as a tool for creators. So while a growing number of people will be able to do more with the smaller screens in our lives, even screens worn on our body, the iPad and Mac are allowed to handle workflows that require the additional screen real estate and the additional power. This doesn't mean Apple is free of challenges and risks. The company's approach to Mac continues to be a controversial one. Legacy users feel uncomfortable with the direction which Apple wants to take the platform. And we've talked about this in the past when it comes to the Mac representing Apple's Achilles heel. At the same time, there are some who think Apple isn't moving fast enough with iPad as a tool capable of handling legacy workflows that are still given to the Mac. Many of these challenges and questions facing large screens will likely remain for Apple in the near term. And I think the company will see greater success and momentum with the smaller screens in our lives. However, by embracing the somewhat awkward iPad versus Mac juxtaposition, Apple is revealing to the world that it will remain true to each platform. Apple will focus on the attributes that make the iPad and Mac stand out as creator platforms. That's going to do it for today's episode. Apple earnings are right around the corner. This past week, I published my Apple third quarter 2018 earnings preview. So I went over all of my estimates and more importantly, the methodology and data behind my estimates. All of that was sent to above Avalon members. If you enjoy the analysis found in these podcast episodes and in the weekly articles over at AboveAvalon.com, I think you would enjoy becoming an Above Avalon member. The cornerstone of membership 
is access to my exclusive daily updates about Apple. These updates include Apple business and strategy analysis, my Apple earnings and financial estimates. We also go over my perspective and observations on current news, Apple competitors, Apple keynotes and events. If it is of interest to Apple, it is something I pay attention to. Other member privileges and benefits include access to the archive, so you can read daily updates that were previously sent to members. There is a member forum, so you can talk with other Above Avalon members. And I'm excited to launch a few new research products for members, including access to my Apple earnings model, which contains my forward financial projections for Apple, and something new that I'm calling reports. Each report covers one Apple topic and is designed to have a long shelf life. My expectation is that these reports will end up being a different way of sharing some of my perspective, theory, and research about Apple. For more information on Above Avalon memberships, just head on over to AboveAvalon.com and then go to the membership page. There are two membership options available. It's either $20 per month or $200 per year. Above Avalon is fully sustained by memberships. So if you are already a member, thank you for your support. And if you are thinking about becoming an Above Avalon member, thank you in advance. As a reminder, once Apple releases earnings, I will then publish my earnings review. There will be two parts. The first will go over the major themes, and the second will go over my full notes from the conference call, the earnings release, and items from my earnings model. All of that will be sent to Above Avalon members. With that, I will conclude today's episode. I will talk to you all later.